You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. How do you feel about more? Maybe you could have used a little more sleep this morning. Maybe you're thinking about more coffee. Uh, we all think we, our life would be easier if we had a little bit more money or a little bit more time. Uh, sometimes our, our life, uh, we face some challenges because we've, we, we had more food and now there's more weight or we wanted more stuff so now we have more debt. A lot could be said about uh, more. A, a lot of what drives our daily decision making is a desire of for more. We, we, are just, we are just wired to want more. And the question is, do we want more of what is actually good for us, or do we want more of what will actually harm us? God's not afraid of more. God is a God of more. You just take a look at the, at, 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 at the stars in the sky. There's, we're just discovering more and more galaxies, more and more of this immense universe. God is more. He's a God of more forgiveness, a God of more mercy, a God of more grace, a God of more love, a God of more kindness, more tenderness, more power. He is a God of more. And we at Harvest are, are desiring to see him do more in our lives. This whole church was started on the idea of more. My wife Lindsay and I were living in Oakville and we had seen God do a whole lot while I was on staff at that church there. But we believe that God was calling us to do more, to trust him for more. And God really led us at that time, about seven years ago, to Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to turn there uh, right now. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to come uh, forward with copies of God's Word. Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible, and usher would be glad to give you one. Today we're going to be looking at this idea of more. If we want to see God do more in our lives, what do we need to strive uh, towards? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, this is the, the verse that uh, really uh, got this church plant started uh, seven years ago. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far, say it with me, more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's our desire that as we head into 2017, as we head into this new year, this new season, that we would see God do more. We already know what we want him to do. I'm so thankful that we have a church that has a, a clear mission statement, a clear vision, a clear focus. What do, we want more, what do we want God to do? We want more disciples to be made of more nations. And we want us to grow in loving God with more of our heart, more of our soul, more of our strength, more of our mind. And we want to do better at loving our neighbors more and loving more neighbors. That's what we want to see more happening in our lives. We want God to be doing in, these, doing, uh, in our church. But if we're going to see God do more, we are going to have to strive uh, for some things. 
And so today I want to share three things that we need to be aiming towards, that we need to be inviting, that we need to be pursuing more and more in our lives in order to see God do more and more in our lives. Here's the first one. We must strive to be more passionate in our worship of Christ. We must strive to be more passionate in our worship of Christ. Right there in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, it begins by saying, uh, now to him. It's, it's all about him. Verse 21 again repeats, to him. It's not about us. Our focus needs to be off of ourselves and onto him. That's what worship is about. It's declaring that God is worth more than ourselves, more than anything else in this world. We need to be passionate in our worship of Christ. Now, you can't worship Christ unless you know Christ. And so being passionate in your worship, worship of Christ begins with this, believing the gospel. Believing the gospel. Our church exists so that more and more people would believe the gospel, would believe that there is a creator and that we are his creatures. To believe that we have sinned against our creator and as a result that, that the wages of our sin is death. So there is, a, there is a creator and we are creatures. There is sin and there is death, but there is a cross and there is a resurrection. That God came in Jesus Christ and suffered and died in our place, died on the cross, bore the punishment, paid the death that we deserve to pay, and then rose again in glorious new Life. There is, a creature, there is a creator and a creature. There is sin, there is death, there is cross and resurrection, and then there is faith and there is repentance. That, that's the gospel. Cre- creator, creature, sin, death, cross, resurrection, faith, and repentance. To believe that Jesus died on your cross. To turn away from your sin and to turn towards following God. This is the gospel. Now, this is not simply something that only applies to non-Christians. Some people think that the gospel is, is just for non-Christians. That's what gets you into the Christian life, but then after that, you're kind of done with the, you're done with the gospel. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I had um, my whole family room filled with shoes. I got out these, these Rubbermaid containers that, that we had in our crawl space, and I had them all lined up according to size, and these were the shoes that used to fit Ezra, and now they fit Jet, and these are the shoes that Jet grew out of, and now they're going to be Abel's, and then there's a whole bunch that are set aside for Boaz. And you see, they, our kids are always growing out of shoes. Talk about more. I'm always buying more shoes. And if they're not growing out of them, they're wearing out of them. But listen, you never grow out of the gospel. The gospel never wears out. You never need something more than the gospel. And it, 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 it's crucial for the entire Christian life. It's crucial for worship. That when we come here on Sunday, when we come to worship Jesus Christ, that we remind ourselves that God is the creator and that I'm his creature. And that I have sinned against him and I deserve death. But Jesus Christ came and died on a cross and was resurrected. And I simply need to believe and to repent. That's something that we need to be reminded of every single day. We never grow out of it. But listen, it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. That's why this next part of worship is so crucial. To, 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 to grow more passionate in our worship, we need to be gathering weekly. We need to be gathering 
weekly. Turn over in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. We're going to be turning to a number of different uh, passages. So Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews 10 and find verse 23. We need one another. We need to be gathering together uh, weekly as we're seeking to be passionate in our worship of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews uh, for the uh, past 10 chapters has been outlining the reality of the gospel. Jesus' death on the cross, his sacrifice once for all for sin and repentance and faith, all of these things. And then we come to Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession. What is the confession? It's the gospel. So don't let go of it. Keep the shoes on. Don't grow out of the gospel. How are we supposed to Hold on to this confession. How how is a believer supposed to stay focused on the gospel? How are they to remind themselves of the gospel? Let us hold fast to our confession, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. We need to be gathering weekly. Uh, That's uh, commanded in God's word. Not neglecting to meet together. And what are we supposed to do when we get here? Uh, here's Here's the third thing. To be praising expressively. Gathering weekly and praising expressively. This is what we're looking for for every single person who calls Harvest Bible Chapel their home church. We want them all to believe the gospel. We want them to gather weekly and we want them to praise expressively. Psalm 63 verse 4 talks about, I lift my hands to the Lord. Psalm 47 verse 1 says, I clap my hands. And then it says, with loud shouts, I praise the Lord. We want you to express your heart. Now that's going to look different for different personalities, but the idea is that we are all commanded to express ourselves. Worship is not supposed to be boring and mundane and sterile and stiff. It's supposed to be passionate. And we want 2017 to be a year where we're growing more and more passionate in our worship of Christ. And then fourthly, we want to be giving financially. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also in Matthew chapter 6. And so we give where our heart is. Our treasure goes where our greatest passion is. And that's why as part of our worship service, we collect an offering. We could do it another way. We could, we could uh, collect in a, a different, but it's part of our worship. We don't stop the worship to collect the offering. The offering is in fact part of the worship because we're communicating where our treasure truly lies. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. No one's going to force you to give. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver because God is a cheerful giver. He has cheerfully given to us out of his abundance. He's given us more and more. And so we cheerfully give back to him as an expression of worship. So believing, gathering, praising, and giving, you put those things together, you get more passion in your worship of Jesus Christ. We want to see more of that in our church. May God make it so. 
Secondly, we want to be more purposeful in our walk with Christ. We want to be more purposeful in our walk with Christ. A walking is the New Testament metaphor for living your life. And a, a number of times throughout God's word, it talks about walk in this way, walk in a manner. Don't walk that way, walk this way. And walking is how New Testament Christians talked about living their lives. A walking, first and foremost, is intentional. Uh, you uh, arrived in your, in, in your car in the parking lot of William Gage School and you're sitting in the gym right now because you walked. You made a decision. It was intentional. You put one foot in front of the other and, and now you're here. You wanted to be here, so you walked. It, it's also, um, it, it's not simply intentional, it's also a progressive when, when you're walking, you're, you're moving from one place to another. You aren't where you were before. Now you're over here because you walked. And in the Christian life, again and again, we're reminded of our positional, uh, our positional um, uh, um, status or sanctification in the Christian life that Christ has forgiven us and made us holy. There is a, a positional aspect to the Christian life, but there is also a progressive aspect to the Christian life. That yes, I, yes, Christ has declared me holy, but I am also growing in holiness. I have a, a position as a saint, but I am growing more and more in holiness. It is a, uh, it is a progression. It doesn't mean that, that your life is characterized by perfection. It means that your life is characterized by direction. It doesn't mean that you don't stumble and fall along the way, but you can say that I'm not, that you can say that I'm not the person I was in 2016. I'm different now. I've changed. I've grown because I've been walking with Christ. And so we want to be more purposeful in our walk with Christ. Here's what, here's what that looks like. It, it, it looks like practicing personal disciplines. Practicing personal disciplines. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 says, train yourself for godliness. Uh, training, uh, practicing, uh, doing things over and over again to get better at it. Developing muscle memory. Uh, training yourself for godliness. There's three core uh, disciplines in the Christian life that we emphasize uh, here at Harvest. We can bring them all up on the, all up on the screen uh, all at once. Bible reading, prayer, and witnessing. A Bible reading is letting God talk to you. Prayer is you talking to God. And witnessing is, is you talking to others about God. If I, were to, if I were to walk up to you and say, hey, let's go for a walk. And then if we went for a walk and I said absolutely nothing to you, do you think that would be weird? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Because when you tell someone, let's go for a walk, what you mean is, I want to talk to you. You don't just say, let's go for a walk, and then you just silently, awkwardly walk beside each other. Walking involves talking, and so there's talking to God, that's Bible reading, or that's prayer. There's God talking to you, that's Bible reading, and then there's talking to others about God. Now, we put uh, something uh, uh, with your sermon handout today, just something that will help you in in letting God talk to you and something that will help you in talking to God. Four questions that I use uh, uh, whenever I read my Bible. Four questions I use to help me let God talk. And then four, four uh, uh, 
categories that help me organize my prayer life when I'm talking to God. I don't have time to, to cover that today, but I wanted to put that into your hands to help you in your walk with God. Now picture that you're on a walk with someone and you're talking to, uh, to the person. And you're engaged in relationship with one another. Now imagine that as you're walking, you bump into someone else that you know. But the person that you have just met doesn't know the person that you're walking with. What do you do? You introduce them. You don't just let the, the, the person that you're walking with sort of, again, stand there awkwardly. As, as soon as you as engage in a conversation, oh, Nice to see you. Have you met so-and-so? That's what happens in normal, everyday interaction, isn't it? And listen, if you're going through life and you're walking with Jesus, and you're talking to Jesus and Jesus is talking to you, the natural thing in your walk with Christ is that when you encounter someone else, you're going to ask them, have you met Jesus? Because I've been walking with him. I've been talking to him. And I'd like you to meet him as well. That's the core of of Christian discipline, Bible reading, prayer, and witnessing. Now, some people in the Christian life, they get walking with Christ all wrong. They think about walking like this. Have you ever seen this on television? Do you know what this is? This is speed walking or race walking where people are all going like this. And it's every man for themselves, and they're just trying to get it done as fast as they can, and they're just going through their prayer check mark, and I did my acts of prayer, and I did my Bible reading, and I'm trying to grow as fast as I can. And listen, it's awkward, and it's weird, and no one likes it. I'm sorry. If race walking is your favorite sport, that needs to change today. <laughs> no one likes it. And so many people are living the Christian life in a way that's not attractive, that's not fun, that no one likes because it's all individualized, it's all about a race, it's all about doing better than other people, and that's not what it's supposed to be about. This is what the walk is supposed to be like. It's like a group together on an awesome journey. And if one falls down, then the others are going to help them get up. And we are in this together. And we are taking in the sight. And it's not about getting there as fast as we possibly can. It's just about getting there all together. We're not going to leave anyone behind. We're going to have fun along the way. We're going to relate to one another on the way. We're going to eat on the way. We're going, to, we're going to spend time together on the way. This is how the walk is supposed to go. And this is the second thing in our walk for Christ that's so crucial. Not only are we practicing personal dis disciplines, we want to see more of that, but we want to see more people in our church participating in a small group. Participating in a small group. A small group is that group of people, those traveling partners that you can go with along in your journey. Now, when we look at a small groups, what we're trying to do is follow the biblical pattern. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus started a small group. He called them his disciples, the, the apostles. He, he chose 12 guys. That was a small group. He didn't just go along with the crowd. He intentionally poured into and fostered relationships with a smaller 
group. And so there's a pattern there. And then we also see a pattern in Acts 2.42 and Acts 5.42 where the church was meeting in the temple as a large group but also from house to house. Now, it's not commanded in the Bible you shall join a small group. It's not, it's not instructed that you must meet in a home on Thursday. But there is a pattern in the Bible that we're trying to follow. This idea that Jesus had a small group. That the church, the early church, met in small There's this pattern that we're trying to follow. And so there's this biblical pattern, but then there's also biblical principles. So we believe here at Harvest that what, at having a church, not simply with small groups, but of small groups, that we can follow the biblical pattern and fulfill a number of important biblical principles. These are going to come uh, quite quickly. The first principle is that, is that uh, the Christian life is supposed to be relational. I already covered that. We're not competing against one another. We're supposed to be relating uh, to one another. The, the second half of our mission statement involves loving God and then also loving our neighbor. And so you, you can't love your neighbor unless you're close to your neighbor, unless you're spending time with your neighbor. And you might come to this church on Sunday, there's 700 people coming here every, uh, every week, and you, you, you might sit next to a different person uh, every single Sunday. And, and Never get to know anyone, but if, you, if you're part of a small group, then you are known and you are loved and you are able to fulfill what we're aiming at here as a church. I love Ecclesiastes 4 that says two are better uh, than one. Here's the second uh, principle that it, small groups are, are sustainable. Uh, sustainable. I love Acts chapter uh, 18 where Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, looks at Moses and he's the, he's the one leader and everyone's just lined up waiting to talk to the one leader and Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. He says, you, will, you, he says, you can't do this on your own. And then Jethro gives him advice and he says, appoint other leaders. And, and that's the whole idea of small group. Each small group has small group leaders, and they're trained, and they're poured into. And the, and, and the, the ministry responsibility is shared at our church. Listen, a church that is built on one leader is not a church that's built to last. And so there needs to be a sustainable model with multiple leaders. Thirdly, reproducible. A reproducible. The job of the small group leader is to train and develop and identify more small group leaders. Just like it says in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 20, uh, 2 verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's reproducible. And then lastly, it's intergenerational. Psalm 71 talks about one generation proclaiming the good works of God to the next generation. Titus uh, chapter 2 talks about older women teaching the younger women. And so all of our small groups, whether they be women's groups or men's groups or mixed groups, the, the intention is for them to be intergenerational. The vision for small groups at our church is transformation toward Christ-likeness through the word, by the spirit, and in community. It's not a race walk. It's a journey that we're on together. Every small group meeting is going to have a time of Bible study, a prayer, and outreach. So, so small group it, it helps you focus on those core disciplines by doing them with, with other people. There's also accountability, and there's also fun. And so I encourage you to join a small group. We want to see more worship. We want to see more walking, and we want to see 
Um, we want to see that this year. Here's the thing. If you're worshiping and walking, uh, if you're worshiping Jesus and walking with Jesus, he's going to walk you right into a situation where he's going to ask you to do some work. It's just as simple as that. If you're worshiping him and walking with him, he's going to walk you right into a situation that's going to cause you to roll up your sleeves and to do some work. And so here's the third thing we want more of this year. We want to be more productive in our work for Christ. More productive in our work for Christ. You know, we talk a lot about uh, Harvest being uh, your home church. People who call Harvest their home church. We want this place to be a place where you feel at home, where this is a family. But we don't want you to get the wrong idea when we're talking about home church. You see, sometimes when, when people hear this idea of uh, going to my home church, they, they sort of have this idea of a church that's kind of like this. You know, it's a cozy living room. There's lazy boy furniture. I'm just going to put my feet up, maybe get a snack from the fridge. I can cozy up by the fire or just relax and watch the game. And I am just here to chill. And we have the most amazing welcome ministry in our, uh, in our church. I'm so thankful for, and listen, sometimes I think they do their job too well. They're looking at making sure you park your car. They're giving you the sermon handles. Are you, does anyone need a Bible? Oh, yeah, I need a Bible. Yeah, right over here. Bring it over here. Can I have a soda, too? And, and I think sometimes our welcome ministry does too good of a job of welcoming people, that people just get too comfortable here. Listen, when you come to your home church, it doesn't look like this. We are not here to relax. We are here to work. It doesn't look like this. It looks like this. That's your home church. This is what is happening right here, right now. We are not just chilling out, max and relaxing, all cool. We are building something. And one of the reasons why you might not feel like you fit in in this church is because you've got your bowl of popcorn and your Sprite looking for somewhere to sit down and some guy's using a buzzsaw right in front of you. Because there's work that needs to be done. That's what we're called to do. We're called to worship. We're called to, we're called to walk. And we're called to work. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. Normally, again, we just follow one passage of Scripture. I'm mentioning a number of passages uh, today. Following on the theme of more. So we're looking at more verses than normal. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10. The first thing we're going to see as we look at this passage is the idea of sharing responsibility. Sharing responsibility. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we're going to be more productive in our work for Christ, we need to understand that we are all sharing responsibility. It says, as each has received a gift, all of us have been given a gift. All of us have a certain skill that will be helpful and useful in building up the church. As each has received a gift, and then it says, use it. It's a command. 
You have received a gift. You are commanded by God's word to use that gift and to use it to serve one another. And then it says, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Steward is not a word we use in everyday language anymore. A steward is someone who is responsible for managing someone else's property. You have received a gift, but the gift really isn't yours. And the gift isn't supposed to be used just for your benefit. You are to be a steward of that gift to help other people. And so we all have a responsibility. In three weeks, our church is starting a third service, a Saturday night service. And it's at the time for all of us to think about the responsibility that we have in serving the church. That this is a time for all of us to contemplate, take a look at our schedule, take a look at, to take a look at our gift, take a look at our passions, take a look at the different needs in our church. To do one service at Harvest Bible Chapel requires 90 volunteers for setting up and tearing down the, the, the chairs and all of the sound equipment, for running the welcome ministry and Harvest Kids. It takes 90 people. And so we, we need 90 more people to step up and to serve and to get involved, to share some of the responsibility, to stop looking for the lazy boy and pick up a hammer and get involved and start serving. This is a, a, share, a responsibility that all of us are to share. Also make note of this, we, we want to be serving with humility serving with humility. Look back at, at uh, 1 Peter ver chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So some people think that their gifts are, are there to show off. Your gifts are not there to show off. They're there to serve. And, and we are called upon to serve with humility. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then he told them, he says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you, to serve with humility. And some of you are thinking, well, yeah, I mean, I, I would serve. You need 90 people. I could be one of those people. But listen, there's certain things I will do and certain things I won't do. Well, where's the humility in that? You know, one of the things that I've picked up on, I see it in my own life, is that pride tends to complicate things. Pride tends to have a bunch of little asterisks and, and little footnotes and little caveats. Well, I can't do this, I can't do that because he, all. Pride tends to complicate things and humility keeps things really simple. Those feet are dirty, I better get a towel. It's as simple as that. Serving with humility. What are the needs in our church? I love Jesus, I love our church, and so I'm going to do whatever is needed in order to Work at, uh, work at serving Christ and serving the church. Serving with a humility. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Sharing responsibility, serving with humility, and then thirdly, focusing vertically. Focusing vertically. Uh, if we are going to be a church that's productive in our work for Christ, 
our, our focus cannot be horizontal. Our focus must be vertical. It's, it's when we focus horizontally, that's when we end up getting filled with pride and not having humility. Well, I'm not going to do that because he's not doing that. Meanwhile, if our focus is vertical and we're serving Christ, then we'll do whatever is needed uh, to, uh, to get done. It goes on in 1 Peter 4, it says, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God supplies the strength. And so you can jot that down in your notes. When we focus vertically, we're focusing on God first and foremost for the strength. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on, uh, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. We're focusing vertically for strength to be able to do what he has called us to do. We're also focusing vertically uh, for the results focusing vertically for the results. I love, there's this short little parable in Mark chapter 4 about a farmer. It's not the, it's, it involves seed, but it's not the, the famous parable of the sower. It's a very little known parable in Mark 4. It's basically the parable, I'll just read it for you, it's, real, it's, it's, it's so short. It says, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises at night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. We're looking to God for the results. The, the farmer, he scattered the seed. He did his job, but then he just goes to bed. It's up to God. He's not digging into the dirt to see if the seed is growing. That would just ruin it. And so when we're focusing vertically, that, that, that involves us praying and trusting that it's not our effort in serving the Lord that's going to bring about the, the result that we desire. It is God's power working in us and through us for strength for the results and then lastly for the reward for the reward first corinthians chapter uh, three talks about uh, jesus being our foundation and that we're building we've got work to do to build on the foundation and it says that if the work is destroyed by fire if people used wood and hay and straw, that will all get burned up. But people who use precious metal and precious jewels, they will survive the fire. And then it says they will be rewarded for their work. And so we're supposed to focus vertically for the strength, for the results, and for the reward. I love Colossians 3, 23, 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. As for the Lord vertically, not for man horizontally, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. There is a reward coming. Sometimes we want the reward to, to be um, of other people praising us for how well we're using our gifts. That's why I highly recommend signing up and serving in children's ministry. If you want to focus vertically, no one makes you look up more often than little kids. No one makes you cry out to God in desperation. I need strength. I'm not seeing any results. Is there any reward than working with kids? Because, listen, I'm always telling my kids, I, I don't know how many times, in every situation, oh, say thank you, oh, say thank you, say thank you. 
Kids don't naturally say thank you. You will not, you will not get the reward in working with, for Harvest Kids if you spend hours working on a lesson or laying out juice cups to, to make sure that everyone gets the same amount or tidying up or laying things out. You will no, the kid will not walk in. Those kids do not walk into that classroom and say, oh, thank you for setting up this room for me. They will not say that. Thank you for wiring up this automated registration system. They will not say that. But you are serving the Lord Christ. He has promised a reward. And you know what the reward is? The reward is Him. Because ultimately, loved ones, when we're talking about more work for Christ, we're just simply talking about more Christ. When we're talking about more walking with Christ, what we really want is just more Christ. When we're talking about more worship of Christ, what we really want is more Christ. It is all about him. It is all for him. It is all through him. And that's why, to go back to Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him, to him be glory in the church and throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is what we want more of. More worship, more walk, more work more of Jesus, more glory going uh, to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this chance to uh, open your word and to be reminded of what we're aiming at as a church. Not something new, Lord, but these are, these are things that we hold dear as a family, as, as a church, as a body. This concept of disciples worshiping and walking and working. And God, I pray that your spirit would do a good work uh, in our lives. I pray that your spirit would be challenging us or calling to mind areas in which we are not fully engaged in our worship or we are lagging in our walking as it relates to being in a community or we're not working and serving you, God. I pray that you would bear fruit through your word and for your glory. I pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and we're going to uh, respond in song with this idea of, of Christ being our reward. That's the, the first line in this song. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.